As Vlad the Invader moves deeper into Ukraine and more and more cities are falling before his armies, there are also reports of more and more of his troops running faster than the refugees to get out of the way of potential sanctions, war crimes, and other prosecutions. Hello, it's Mike New York. This is the 2222 supposedly review of what is happening in, <laughs> in the uh, uh, situation in uh, Ukraine at this point in time. And of course, we're looking through a lot of different stories there. I'm putting this up because I know I did a 2222 episode, but it doesn't seem to exist anymore on my podcast. And I've noticed something. If you try and play certain videos or certain things, they just disappear. Uh, anything that is negative or doesn't really seem to come up with the narratives that uh, big tech is supporting or that uh, people are discussing, well then, at the end of the day, all of a sudden, all of that goes away. What a lot of people don't realize is the assault on Kiev that you're seeing doesn't seem to be the priority of the Russian military. The Russian military seems to have one major priority, and that would be taking over the coastal areas of Ukraine and cutting it off from the Black Sea and somehow finding a way to link a land bridge all the way across southern Ukraine until Moldova. Well, that would mean taking the city of Odessa, which is heavily defended by Ukrainian forces at this point. And the last major holdout region is the city of Mariupol, uh, which uh, has some Ukrainian, mostly civilian forces and militia holding out there. These are very close, and in fact, just across a, uh, a, a body of water called the Gulf of, Gulf of Azuz. Aruz or Azuz, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. But it, it is a, a uh, uh, essentially a large uh, uh, saltwater uh, bay, if you will, um, or gulf. And across that, on the opposite side, uh, sits mostly uh, Russia. And with that, their ability to, to uh, uh, maintain pressure over Mariupol is something that seems to be their ultimate goal. You would think the Russians would want to maintain some kind of land boundary between them and others but I guess this is their goal to have like a you know a way to cut off access to the sea um, for uh, Ukraine as also a way of restricting the movements of NATO forces when they go to visit uh, other areas that would leave only Romania essentially um, and uh, a, a small region in Moldova with uh, with Black Sea ports uh, that would be uh, you know winter free from uh, from snow or rather from ice, which is a major problem there. And to talk about that more, let's bring in this analyst from Sky News. I'm sorry, from um, uh, Australia Television, and uh, what exactly the Russians are doing at this time. Um, I'll get to his name in, in the show notes and also later. Parts of the country, there are such problems because the operation began to wait, and that was Putin's decision. Uh, but at the same time, you should understand that Russia still holds the initiative, 
And this is a very big country and this is a big operation. Actually, there are two operations, one in the north, the other in the south. In the north, there have been serious problems. That's where the Western Military District of Russia is in charge. In the south, where the South Military District headquarters in Rostov-on-Don is in command, there have been a very serious progress. The Russians are doing well in the south and are soon apparently will be close to cutting off Ukraine from all the seas, making it a landlocked country. They have taken a number of port cities uh, on the Azov Sea, uh, Berdyansk and Gnechansk and also the city of Melitopol. These are quite sizable cities. They are not really dependent. And yesterday they entered the uh, very important strategic uh, port city of Kherson, crossed the uh, Dnieper. Uh, today it's announced that they're in full control. Apparently the Ukrainian military moved out and the Kherson was defended only by some territorial volunteers. Maybe they're still there, but the city is more or less taken. And now, So, you know, as you listen to that, you, you get a, 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 you know, a broader picture of, of what is happening there, um, uh, you know, in, in these uh, regions or areas. Uh, and uh, let's, let's get his name on here because, you know, that, that, that might be important, you know, at some point to, uh, to talk about. Now, uh, you know, they're, they're, the anchor is going to mention the name, I hope. Uh, and Ukraine. Pavel, uh, what would this look like? To Vladimir Putin right now. Um, we hear a lot of reports that he's become increasingly isolated. So that's Pavel is the name that uh, we are hearing. Uh, and uh, he, he mentions the name of the uh, gentleman who was speaking with, who is a Russia analyst. And uh, I believe one of, one of the uh, senior analysts uh, for uh, Australia Television, which is their government network. Uh, yes, this is uh, Pavel uh, Fellinghauer. Fellinghauer. Fellinghauer? Fellinghauer. Is he Fellinghauer? I don't know. But he's a defense analyst. Doesn't say with which group, but I believe, of course, with Australia Television or Australia uh, TV, which is, which is, of course, the uh, um, broadcast service that is a public broadcaster. There's a definition between a public broadcaster um, and a non-public broadcaster. And uh, uh, Pavel uh, Fellinghauer is based in Moscow. So uh, he is obviously a Russian analyst and, and he's talking about the situation. However, from a very critical point of view, um, if you listen to the rest of his interview, he's, he's been pretty clear on his uh, uh, views on, on Putin and uh, how the average uh, Russian is, is taking the situation and, and looking at it over the long term. Now, another thing I've been noticing lately, and I do not know why, is there's been a lot of reports of, uh, you know, uh, the gains of the forces of uh, Ukraine. And fairly so, they've been doing, you know, uh, yeoman's effort, as they would say, of, of uh, you know, keeping up a fight against an enemy that, that basically out classes them, uh, you know, a thousand to one uh, on on a, a number of areas and issues with regards to this uh, current situation that, that they face uh, against a superpower or essentially what was once a superpower or a major European power. And, uh, uh, you know, how, how that is, is, um, is uh, going on. 
um, essentially right now you you are seeing uh, the Turks uh, who are have not imposed sanctions on uh, not imposed sanctions on Russia basically the only I think EU member to not do so and primarily they're given an exemption because they are you know a country that does border Russia and, and I guess they're they're hoped to be a back channel at some point but uh, Turkey has airlifted more of these uh, 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 UCABs as they're called uh, these are the Valier uh, Takar TB2 unmanned uh, combat aerial vehicles that have been doing very well, apparently, in delaying the actions of the uh, Russian forces as they move uh, into uh, Ukraine. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, deliveries also of uh, EU countries' pledges have not yet arrived. So the 7,000 or so uh, anti tank ATGM. Uh, missiles, rockets uh, that are supposed to come from uh, many countries in the European Union. They've been announced, but have so far not arrived. And it is doubt that uh, these will make it in time um, for uh, the uh, arrival of Russian forces in um, U- Ukraine at this at this point in time. Uh, there, there are talks further of... Uh, uh, what exactly will be coming in there? And uh, I think it's Gareth Jennings who, who wrote an article on these uh, new Turkish uh, uh, UCABs uh, or unmanned aerial combat vehicles uh, that are, uh, you know, getting into the, the area and the overall impact that they have. So uh, I'm going to let you listen to the article he wrote. I used to write for James. I have no more any affiliation with them. They have an extensive system of. Um, uh, you know, wanting to know to me a little way too much of what their writers uh, are, are writing about. Uh, I, I took offense to, you know, having to list down every political like contribution or opinion that you have to be able to write or report on something. And to me, that that is why, you know, it's uh, it, it kind of infringes on your on your freedom of. Uh, uh, of everything, um, they even wanted to know, you know, things like uh, if you are religious or are not, do you believe in God or not? To me, these are things that companies have no right to get into, especially if they're supposed to be media organizations. Um, it, it would be almost to the point of, uh, of, of uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, doing things that are, you know. Uh, creating problems uh, for for people to be able to, to have and express their own views. Of course, you can lie, you know, which is what apparently a lot of the writers do. But you know, they still sign those documents, and at some point, you're lying for what? You know, to, just for a job. Uh, so you don't have that kind of you know self identity that you can't even discuss it anymore. Anyway, I'm going too long. But anyway, here's James. They usually do a very good job of what they're reporting is. If you don't mind being a writer for them and uh, having to basically give your DNA sample and your mind thoughts to uh, everything they uh, they want. Turkey has airlifted additional Baker Barrett TB2 unmanned combat aerial vehicles, UCAVs, to Ukraine. The Ukrainian Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov said on the 2nd of March that new combat-ready TB2s had arrived. Country is part of a wider package of international military assistance. 
The amount of help we are receiving is increasing. Ukraine has already received and put on combat standby new Viraktor UCAVs, Reznikov announced. The minister's statement followed rumors of a delivery of new TB2s from Turkey after a Turkish Air Force Airbus A400M transport aircraft was tracked flying from Ankara to Poland on the 1st of March. Prior to the Russian invasion, Ukraine was known to have received six TB2s from Turkey. The minister did not say how many additional TB2s had been delivered. The TB2 is the only UCAV in Ukrainian service that was first used by the country in October 2021 when a separatist P3122mm howitzer in the breakaway Donbass region was targeted and destroyed. Footage released by the Ukrainian government since the launch of offensive Russian operations on the 24th of February has shown the TB2s to have been heavily engaged in the fighting, destroying several ground vehicles including buck surface-to-air missile systems. So basically, this is a weapon system that, uh, according to uh, James, all the world's aircraft, uh, this UCAV, uh, it's about 6.5 meters long, has a uh, 12 meter wingspan, takeoff weight uh, allows it to carry not much, about 55 kilograms in uh, mission or weapons ordnance. Uh, there can be some uh, performance changes as to specific orders by each country. Now, the uh, Bayraktar TB2 has a cruising speed of uh, uh, between uh, uh, 150 kilometers per hour, rather, kilometers per hour. Uh, and it can stay in the air for up to 24 hours at a time and uh, do this uh, at altitudes of up to 30,000 feet. So these uh, uh, delivery by Turkey of the Bakhtar uh, or Bayraktar, uh, Bayraktar, Bayraktar, or maybe, okay, TB2, uh, came uh, after Russian forces uh, have invaded. Um, it is a purchase. It is not aid. Uh, this is not something you know. This is not something gifted by uh, uh, Turkish forces uh, to the uh, um, Ukrainians. Um, it has been an effective system so far, and in fact, it is a system that is used by other countries. Mostly, it would be able to carry uh, you know things like the javelin missile. It could probably be able to carry uh, other systems. Into uh, in, into combat such as uh, perhaps uh, uh, things like the uh, Hellfire missile system, if indeed they have access to that, because they are not a NATO country, they may not have such uh, access at this time. And uh, you know, this is uh, of course not really a major game changer. Three, four, five, six, seven of these things, uh, or ten, or even a dozen. Uh, would would be obviously a situational awareness advantage for some, but also it does often create situations um, uh, on the ground that uh, would would uh, lengthen the uh, the process of uh, of being able to you know know what is going on as far as um, uh, the uh, uh, forces there and deployed and whatever uh, you know it, it gives you situational awareness and situational awareness is very important obviously it, it allows um, you know uh, those in the battlefield 
to to know uh, what is going on. But uh, let's go now to you know the uh, uh, independent infantrymen, uh, tank or is it tank and purpose or task and purpose? And this is a uh, cap, uh, Mr. Cap. Um, I believe uh, Chris Cap is his name. Uh, posts a podcast uh, on the uh, uh, on the situation. He's been up here pretty often. Uh, I often tap into him to listen to what is going on. He does do it with a bit of a sense of humor. If you don't like humor, then don't listen. Uh, sometimes, of course, humor is, uh, you know, as they say, laughter is the best medicine. It is um, it is just something that is not too uh, popular with, with some people at some times because it may not be the medicine they want. Uh, meanwhile, before we go to Chris Cappy and Cappy's report, let's listen in to what uh, the Ruski News Agency, TAS, uh, TAS, has to say officially about how their forces are doing uh, in, in Ukraine and uh, how they're winning the war in their mindset. Obviously, the Ukrainians are saying the exact opposite. NATO is saying something in between somewhat. And uh, it continues to go on. But I was watching a press conference by Blinken, the uh, U.S. State Department uh, secretary. He seemed fidgety and nervous and didn't come across as, as someone who, you know, um, knew what he was doing. Uh, you could tell he wanted to be somewhere else. Uh, uh, hey, you know, for all we know, uh, he could have just wanted to go to the bathroom or something, you know, but, but he was on a podium so he couldn't do that. But, but yeah, he was up there and he was talking and, and they were talking about uh, nuclear weapons and then people were asking real questions that he probably didn't have answers to. Uh, like, why did the U.S. fail so miserably at preventing this from happening in the first place? It would have been very, very, very easy um, to, to stop this uh, for, for the United States. Uh, they could have, for example, some, some people say, put a tripwire force uh, on the border. Um, with uh, with with Russia inside Ukraine, and that tripwire force would have been a token force um, that that they could have put in on on the guise of protecting American citizens in the country, and that would have or could have protected the cities such as Kiev or uh, perhaps other areas. Could have, would have, should have, a lot of things. You know, Monday morning quarterbacking is hard to do, and especially when it's Wednesday early morning. Uh, actually, Thursday now, March the 3rd. So this isn't actually March the 2nd report. But then again, my March the 2nd report disappeared. So this is what it is. Let's listen to what the Russians are saying. 0241 Russian troops destroy 1,502 Ukrainian military facilities. Top brass, the Russian troops have also destroyed 47 planes on the ground and 11 aircraft in the air, 472 tanks and other combat armored vehicles. 62 multiple launch rocket systems, 206 field artillery guns and mortars, 336 special military motor vehicles and 46 unmanned aerial vehicles Moscow, March 2nd. TASS. The Russian troops have wiped out 1,502 Ukrainian military facilities and destroyed 47 aircraft since the start of the special operation in Ukraine. Defense Ministry spokesman Major General Igor Konasenkov said on Wednesday, over the period of the special operation, 1,502 Ukrainian military infrastructure facilities have been crippled, including 51 command and communications centers of the Ukrainian armed forces, 
38S300, Buck M1 and Losa's surface to air missile systems, 51 radar stations, the spokesman said. The Russian troops have also destroyed 47 planes on the ground and 11 aircraft in the air, 472 tanks and other combat armored vehicles, 62 multiple launch rocket systems, 206 field artillery guns and mortars, 336 special military motor vehicles and 46 unmanned aerial vehicles, the general said. Russian President Vladimir Putin said in a televised address on the morning of February 24 that in response to a request by the heads of the Donbass republics he had made a decision to carry out a special military operation in order to protect people who have been suffering from abuse and genocide by the Kiev regime for eight years. The Russian leader stressed that Moscow had no plans of occupying Ukrainian territories and the operation was aimed at demilitarizing and denazifying Ukraine. When clarifying the developments unfolding, the Russian Defense Ministry reassured that Russian troops are not targeting Ukrainian cities, but are limited to surgically striking and incapacitating Ukrainian military infrastructure. There are no whatsoever to the civilian population. So basically, that's what the Ruskies are saying. Of course, we're going to go to now. Uh, what did I read up a while ago? I had something in my lineup for you guys. Uh, you know, that, that, that was it. And, and I believe that was uh, Chris Chappie. But before that, we're going to hear from this. And I will be back right now. Wait. Yo. Now we go, as promised, uh, over to Chris Caffey, uh, by about half, or a little less than half of his spiel, or his report on what is going on, in uh, his point of view as a military analyst. I'm really happy to be known for, for analyzing and looking at Eastern European, uh, Chinese, and other potential peer, near-peer rival weapon systems over the years, and guess this primarily for gaming platforms. But uh, what they say, video games are getting really accurate with things, and uh, a lot of times uh, the analysts and the people they're hiring, uh, even if in the case of Cappy, he's a, he's a sergeant, uh, tend to be more realistic at times than those of the normal that is used at, say, the Institute of uh, Modern Warfare over at West Point. Hello, Spare Parts Army. I'm your average infantryman, Chris Cappy. Today, I'm continuing our ground-level analysis of the Russo-Ukrainian War, now in its seventh day. Open-source intelligence networks on Twitter were able to intercept these low-level Russian unit communications, which weren't even encrypted so anyone with a radio could listen in or jam their signal in the middle of combat. Communications that have been translated reveal Russian soldiers' call signs as they curse each other in the middle of combat, they're angry over the lack of supplies, and we have reports of their KIA and injuries all from listening in on their communications. Here you see the Russian infantry using a tactic called recon by fire, where they just go down the road shooting everything in sight. So I guess it's a good thing that I went ahead and changed the password to the channel three times yesterday. 
to protect from Russian cyber attacks. One Reddit user pointed out that the Russian invasion so far has been like Putin's version of Firefest, a huge disaster. But a lot of people are getting their analysis from Western generals who look at all the Russian casualties and they think that's a sign that they're losing. A lot of people don't understand the Russian military though, and I've been studying it for years now. Historically, the Russian army has always been more comfortable with taking high levels of casualties. You look at the Georgian battle, you look at Granzi, they always take higher casualties. Or we would assume Putin and Russian generals would be horrified by, like we would. But that's not the case. The fact is the Russian army has viewed war very differently. And there's a chance that the Russian army did what the old Soviet Union army used to do, and they sent in their conscripts and their worst equipment first. Captured Russian POWs confirmed that they had no idea they were going into a war. They thought they were going into a training event. But to be fair, this could just be Ukrainian propaganda or it could be what the Russian military told their soldiers to say in the event of being captured. But is that the reality on the ground? Or are there parts of the story that the media is missing here? Let's look at the open source intelligence tool, the live conflict map, where the marked red areas show us live up to the minute visualizations of all the areas that are completely in Russian army control. This area here has grown slightly since Sunday where they started to try to flank the city from the west down to the south to the city of Markov, which was in Russian control as early as last night. But as of today, the Ukrainian armed forces have recaptured it. According to the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense analysis, they're predicting that the Russian troop movements over the next few days are gonna look like this. Basically, it shows a map, different lines of control, some coming from the east, some coming from Belarus, and some coming from Crimea that essentially all link up in Kiev. Let's go back to Chris. Where the Russian army is going to try to move from the east to the west to Kiev and from the south all the way to the north to Kiev. The new 40 mile long Russian convoy has now reached about 30 kilometers outside of Kiev near a town called Evenkiv, which is a choke point on the way down to the capital. This town has seen heavy fighting in the past few days. Matthew Bolig is an expert in Russian warfare at the Chatham House, a policy institute in London. And he said, quote, what we're seeing is basically phase two, which is a shift to the much more brutal, tactless, unrestricted warfare, which will lead to many more civilian casualties and bloodier battles. The convoy is made up of BMP-3s, the Russian Army's most advanced tracked infantry fighting vehicle. Each one carries eight infantry, which can dismount once they reach urban areas. These vehicles fire a 30-millimeter autocannon, which are massive explosive bullets. It's estimated there are 15,000 additional Russian troops in total in this convoy headed to the capital. Hmm. So that's what uh, Cappy is saying, essentially, that their plans are to, uh, you know, kind of embed forces in the capital. Uh, I notice a lot of these videos now when you play them suddenly pop-up disclaimer comes up. It's like somebody's watching these videos and if they seem to not carry the official narrative, um, you just don't get to be seen anymore. And that, that's bad. I mean, when I was covering um, both Gulf Wars, basically, um, you always had access to whatever the other side was saying out there. And, and you could look at it. Of course, I was a journalist. I was sitting inside a broadcast studio facilities and whatnot. Um, but I think the general public should be able to see these things and watch these things. 
because then you get a middle ground view uh, which tells you more uh, what is happening. In, in my case, I have uh, four sons, uh, all of whom are military age, and I would be extremely worried if they were in the military and you weren't able to find out more information about what was going on. And just trusting Joe Biden, <laughs> oh God, help us! No, just trusting, uh, you know, some someone like that or or Austin. Woo. I mean, he's more concerned still about you know other issues that are, that are just either race or gender, have nothing to do with combat, and it would be really sad to see how these uh, woke military forces uh, would, would uh, have to contend with dealing with Russian units uh, that are trained and, in fact, expect to lose 15 to 20 percent of their fighters in conflict, because to them, that's just part of warfare, whereas to us, it is sort of barbaric, you know, no soldier should be sacrificed, that type of thing. And uh, I don't think any soldier should, by the way, I don't decide this, but what I'm saying is, you gotta man up, you gotta toughen up, you know, there's no other better way to say it, I'm sorry, you know, it, uh, it may not be the, 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 the popular method of, of discussion, but the reality is, that's just what it is, you know. And, you know, you're looking at all these things and you're seeing all these things and you're saying, okay, these are what people face and this is what is going on. And uh, we do not know what the eventual outcome will be on the other end, on the other side of things, um, as opposed to things uh, going on. Uh, ABC Australia has a good piece. Uh, that they came out with called The Road to War. We're going to look at it and then we're going to see if there's any excerpts that are worth popping in the podcast. There's also some other platforms out there that you can look at. Um, and uh, ways of looking at things. Strange. Life is life. Let's look at what's out there. Coming up with a story on crime and no punishment. That is what is happening in New York City. That is why so many Asian Americans and other Americans are leaving the city and moving as far away as they can because it just isn't safe, they say, anymore to be around here. I'm Mike of New York, and that's the latest for me for now from here.